It felt tight across the chest, legs, and knees. I couldn't move. About all I could do was wiggle my toes, and I wasn't going very far doing that. Those words were spoken uh, by a farmhand who was participating in a training experience. A, a, a grain engulfment simulation. Uh, in our part of the country, in Illinois, uh, four, sometimes five times a year, preventable deaths occur uh, when uh, farm workers get into grain bins and fail to put on the necessary safety equipment or fail to follow the necessary safety protocols. And I found out this past week, a 165-pound person can sink six feet into a grain bin in 25 seconds. only takes 25 seconds. And it's like quicksand. And once you get in, you're in trouble. And so for 25 seconds, you're, that, this is even before you started suffocating. And you start going down and you start panicking. It's a nightmare scenario. 25 seconds and then you're under. And it takes uh, 900 pounds of force to extract a 165-pound person who's stuck. Meaning, once you start sinking, you cannot get out by yourself. It's impossible. You are stuck. You're in trouble. If there is to be a rescue, if there is to be deliverance, if there is to be salvation, it has to come from outside the bin. Outside the bin. Now, some of you may be thinking, what on earth is a city slicker doing giving us a farm lesson? (laughs) Well, I can read. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) And, And we just read Psalm 130. You see, Psalm 130, Psalm 130 is a story of a grain bin survivor. Psalm 130 tells the story about someone who was engulfed, a grain engulfment situation, and this person survived. Psalm 130. Psalm 130 is in a collection of psalms uh, beginning in Psalm 120 through Psalm 134, Psalm 130 is in a collection of psalms, and if you have your Bibles, just turn there. Uh, you'll find Psalm 130 on, in your church Bibles, the navy blue church Bibles in the pouch in front of you, on page 442. 442. And so Psalm 130 is in a collection of psalms or songs. If you look at Psalm 130, about all of our versions, no matter what they are, we'll say just below the chapter heading, a song of ascents. You see that. A song, what, what is that? Well, this is a collection of songs that were thought to have been sung as God's people were on pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship in the temple. 
And the way the geography and topography work in Israel is that from whatever direction you approach the city of Jerusalem, you are ascending, you're going uphill. And so therefore, these songs are the songs that God's people would sing on their way to worship in Jerusalem. They were, they were worshiping on their way to worship. Now that's a good lesson to tell us how we need to prepare for our corporate worship, right? So the next time, I'm going to meddling here, the next time you're, you just feel like the service was flat, songs were flat, Randy was flat, you're sitting here, your arms are crossed, when are we going to eat, <laughs> let's go, when's the show over, that kind of a thing, well we maybe need to be informed by Psalm 130, before you write anything on the comment card, ask yourself this question, did I worship before I came to worship? Because I guarantee you, if you, if we, if we, as a community, will worship, what's your routine Sunday morning? What's your routine? Well, I don't have a routine. This song, I'm glad you're here today. If we will worship before we get to worship, worship is going to be worship. And that's, that's really what's going on here in Psalm 130. As, as the singer of the song, the director, the presenter, the presider, uh, God's people are, are in pilgrimage. We're, we're on a journey. We're, we're going up to the city. We're going up to the, the place the temple of worship. And, and as we're going, this singer tells the story and the story is a, is a grain engulfment survivor story. That's the story of Psalm 130. Where out of this song, the psalmist, the psalmist sings the truth about himself. That's what we'll see and hear. The psalmist then sings the truth about who God is and what he's done. That's what we're going to hear. And then the psalmist sings the truth, the truth about what God has done and what that means for God's people. All right? So, so the truth about myself, the truth about God, the truth about God's people. Well, what's the truth? What's the truth about myself? Well, the, tr the truth, according to the psalmist, is I'm stuck. I'm stuck and I need rope. I need rope. Listen, the first best thing that you can do when you are stuck is this. Admit it. Admit it. Isn't that what we read here in verses 1 and 2? Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. I'm stuck. I need a rope. Admit it. Out of the depths. The depths of what? Verse 3 tells us of sin. The depths of sin. See, it's, th th this was preventable. This, this happened, but it didn't have to happen. I got in there and I got in that grain bin and I, you know, I, I 
been in that grain bin a hundred times before and I don't need that harness and, and there's, that, there's that grain bridge it's, it, it feels firm it seems firm I'm going to go out and then you're smack dab in the middle of that grain bin and you can't, you can't you don't know about the quicksand that's underneath and then there's the fracture and then you're going down and you're stuck and you cannot get out by yourself this was preventable this was And finally, at last, the psalmist has come to the truth. The truth that we read in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. When you are stuck, admit it. I'm stuck. I need rope. Some some don't. Admit it that they're stuck. They want to they try to excuse it or cover it up or try to pretend it's not there. Try to pretend the stuckness isn't there. And, and so you may be here for the first time and you might think, well, you know, church is for the people who aren't stuck. Wrong. Wrong. You, welcome to the Windsor Road Christian Church. I'm stuck, church. See? If you're not stuck, we don't want you on our property. Because the only people who are here are people who are stuck. You see? It's true. It's true. I think one of the best commentaries on Psalm 130 is Jonah chapter 2. Now, now, uh, Jonah chapter 2. Keep your eyes, don't turn there please, because I want, you to, I want you to keep your eyes on Psalm 130 while I read Jonah 2, and I think you'll see the parallel. Jonah chapter 2 says, from inside the fish, read grain bin, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, he said, in my distress I called to the Lord and he answered me. Now that's Hebrew for, I'm stuck from the depths of the grave. I called for help. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. My life was ebbing away. And then Jonah says, I remembered you, Lord. My prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. The worst thing in the world is not being stuck. It's not. The worst thing in the world is being stuck and then crying out and nobody's listening. That's the worst thing. Or the worst thing in the world is to be stuck and to cry out but to cry out to a counterfeit God who cannot listen. And that is why, to me at least, one of the most powerful verses in the Bible is Jonah chapter 2, verse 8, where he says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. And maybe some of us are crying out to the wrong God. 
we're stuck. We know we're stuck, but we're crying out to the we're we're crying out to the very thing that put us in the grain bin. <laughs> what is it you're crying out to? Who is it that you're crying out to? Huh? When when you're stuck, you know what you need most. You, when you're when we're stuck, what we don't need is sympathy. What we don't need is empathy, and what we don't need is company. We don't. We, oh, now there's two people stuck. What do you need? A rope. That's what we need. I'm stuck. I need a rope. And this is where the psalmist tells us something, the truth about God. I'm stuck. I need a rope. Truth number two is God's the rope. God is the rope. The the psalmist is absolutely convinced of his own helplessness and of God's helpfulness. He knows, he knows that God is not neutral. He knows that God is not a disinterested party. He knows that God is not unbiased, but that our God is biased, and his bias is for us. Which is why we read in verse 3, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? Verse 3. By the way, what's the answer to that question? If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who, O Lord, could stand? What's the answer? No one. No one. But that's not the point of the question, is it? What's the point of the question? God doesn't keep a record. (laughs) That's the point. That's not the way God is. He's he's, He's not a celestial Scrooge who keeps meticulous records of wrongs so that he can then hold them over us or he or he doesn't forgive us so that then he can guilt trip us into submission rather god is happy and delighted to help that's that's how he is and some of you need to hear this you need to hear this Christmas is not saying, hey, you dug yourself into that, now you get yourself out, and maybe when you show a little bit of effort, then I'll come in and I'll help you, and, and you know, because it's like that old American saying, the Lord helps those who helps himself. Really? Well, that's good news. No, it's not. It's bad news. It's false news. Because the psalmist tells us, That with God, with you, verse 4, there is forgiveness. Verse 7, with you there is unfailing love. With you there is full redemption. Did you get that triplet there? With you, forgiveness, unfailing love, full redemption. That's the way God is. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He cannot. Uh, uh, One preacher put it this way. Whenever a sinner comes to Jesus, Jesus becomes his Savior. Whenever, Whenever Jesus meets a sick soul, Jesus acts as his physician. Jesus will be more glad to receive you than you will be to be received. Do you know that? Do you understand that? He is is happier to receive you than you are to be received. 
As Matthew sat at the receipt of customs, waiting for the people to pay their taxes, so does Jesus Christ sit at the receipt of sinners, waiting for them to cry out for mercy. He's waiting for you. I tell you again, he cannot reject you when you come to him. That would, that would be to alter his whole character and unchrist himself. To, to spurn a coming sinner would un-Jesus Jesus and make him to be somebody else and not himself any longer. He cannot deny himself. So go and try him. Go and try him. That is, this is the God whom we worship. This is the God. I, I'm stuck. I need a rope. God is the rope. And he, he's happy for you to come to him. And can this be fixed? Yes. Yes, it can be fixed. And it's not a quick fix. It's not. God's solution to the problem of sin and the problem of evil, God's solution shows how serious the problem of evil actually is. Because his solution is that, is in verse 8, he himself will redeem Israel. He's not staffing it out to Michael, the archangel. He's not going to staff it out to Gabriel. He is going to take care of the problem himself. He himself will redeem Israel from their sins. Because he's the rope. And he wants to help. And and that's why Paul says in Galatians, in the fullness of time, in the fullness of time, not not over a four-day holiday, but in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the curse of the law, so that we might receive full adoption as his children, you see. It's it's not a quick fix. It's going to come on God's timing and in in his fullness. I uh, was reading a story this past week about a pastor, Pastor Greg Boyle, who um, was participating in a, a youth detention Christmas service and he met this 15 year old kid named Rigo and he's just trying to get to know him ask questions and he so he's just meeting and visiting with Rigo and he, he says to Rigo he says so tell me a little bit is your dad here is your dad going to be common <laughs> Rigo just kind of no my dad's not my dad's a heroin addict my dad used to beat me uh no I, I don't have anything to do with my dad and, and just about then, Boyle said that Rigo, just something, something snapped inside of him. And he told a story about what happened to him when he was in fourth grade. He said, he said, I came home from school in fourth grade in the middle of the day, and I saw my dad. And uh, my dad said, what are you doing home in the middle of the day? And Rigo said to Boyle, he said, because my dad used to beat me, I... I I said, well, Dad, I don't want to tell you. I said, uh, but 
I mean, if I tell you, do you, you promise you won't hit me? And, and my father said, well, of course I'm not going to hit you. I'm your father. What are you, what are you thinking here? And Rigo then proceeded to explain what happened. And right then he started, he, he, it was like he had a, a soul quake. He started heaving and wailing and sobbing and weeping. And finally, Boyle just had to, he just kind of, Greg Boyle just put his arm around him to, to, to comfort him. And when Rigo could finally speak, he said, he beat me with a pipe. With a pipe. And Boyle held him. You know, what do you say after that? Um, he said, well, what about your mom? Is your mom here? And a uh, little, uh, little smile kind of creeped up to the side of his face. He said, see that little woman over there? He said, that's my mom. He said, I've been locked up for a year and a half here. And my mom comes to see me every Sunday. And then he said, you know how many buses she takes every Sunday to see me? And then he started convulsing again and weeping and wailing in, in, in tears. And when he could finally compose himself, he said, seven. My mother takes seven buses to see me. Every Sunday, seven. Imagine. Then Greg Boyle wrote, God in Jesus loves us like Rigo's mother loved her son with unfailing love. And some of us need to hear this because some of us have this perverted, heretical notion that the God of this story in Rigo's life is really the Father. Who taught you that? What heretical pastor stood from a pulpit and declared such, such falsehood? Our God is the God who takes seven buses. That's who we worship. That's the truth. Just to arrive at us. All throughout Jesus' ministry. The birth on Christmas morning. His meals with sinners. His healing of the sick. His death on the cross for our sins. He showed us the heart of God. The heart of God who is willing to take the long seven bus route journey of love to find us. We're stuck. We need a rope. Church family. God is the rope. God is the rope. Do you believe that? Well, that's the message here. So now what? Well, see, this is where we get to the rest of the psalm, you know. See, I need a rope. God's the rope. (laughs) Truth number three, hang on to the rope. Hang on to the rope. See, that's that's verses five and six. I, I wait for the Lord. I, my soul waits. And in his word, I put 
my hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Now what's that? Well, we got to go back to the city of Jerusalem. We got to get on top of the wall. And you know, you know what a watchman is. That's a security watchman in one sense of the word. Looking out, making sure all is clear, or, or some watchman would wait for a messenger or a runner to appear and could tell by the stride of the runner that there's an important message for the king. That kind of a watchman. But that's not this kind of a watchman. No, no, no. No. Well, what's this kind of a watchman? This kind of a watchman, this watchman is the wa- These are the Levitical priests. The priests of the temple. Who are on the eastern wall? What are they doing? Well, they're watching. For what? For the sun. For the sun to come up over the eastern horizon. Why? So that when the sun crests and rises and, 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 and they see this, this first glow of morning's light, they will race down to the temple and proceed to worship. See, there's this, there's this hanging on and waiting in confident expectation because you know the sun's going to come up. It's going to happen. It's just a matter of when. So they're waiting. They're waiting for the certainty because it's going to happen. So the psalmist says, hang on. Wait. 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 That's un-American though, isn't it? Who liked to wait? No. That's no fun. I think that's why Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, waiting is an art our impatient age has forgotten. By the way, he wrote that before the internet, before email, before texting, and before Twitter. Do we need it now more? Waiting is an art our impatient age has forgotten. It wants to break open the ripe fruit when it has hardly finished planting the shoot. But all too often the greedy ears are only deceived. The fruit that seems so precious is still green on the inside and disrespectful hands ungratefully toss aside what has so disappointed them. Hang on, the psalmist says. And and when I think about Christmas in the New Testament, I, I, I just immediately think about Simeon. In Luke chapter 2. You remember Simeon? Luke 2, 25 and 26. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he has this Holy Spirit appointed ministry of waiting. Simeon, I want you to wait. I want you to go to the temple and wait for the Messiah. Well, okay. Well, what do you want me to do once I get to the temple? Can I preach? No. You can wait. Well, can I sing? No. I want you to wait. Well, what do you want me to do? Just wait for the coming of the Messiah. Well, when is he going to come? I'll tell you. Well, can I have a little more? Can you flush that out a little more? No. You're on a need-to-know basis. Come to the temple and wait. And so he just waited. That's it. And, and, and interesting, isn't it? See, Holy Spirit empowered man of God. Now, see, when I think of someone who's Holy Spirit empowered, I like to go to Acts chapter 2. 
and the day of Pentecost and, and the tongues of fire that came down and, and you know, the sacred fire that came and the preaching of God's word and 3,000 were baptized. Man, that's my picture of Holy Spirit empowerment. And that's true. That is a wonderful dimension of that. And, and so is Luke chapter 2. Where through the power and strength of the Holy Spirit, this man of God goes and waits for the Son of of God. I wonder how many days he waited. How many days, huh? He goes to the temple. He waits. Not, not that day. He goes back home. He gets up. He does it again. And then again. And then again. And then again. Maybe he did, maybe he did that 10,000 times. You know? You feel like God accomplished much in my life. You did what God wanted you to do. And then one day, there in the temple, all right, where it's a busy place. There's people coming and going and there's singing and there's sacrificing and, and there's, you know, there's a coffee bar out there and people are visiting and, and, and there's Simeon just doing his Holy Spirit-empowered ministry of waiting and suddenly a peasant couple comes cradling a baby and the Holy Spirit says to Simeon, he'd been there 10,000 days and the Holy Spirit says, now! And he took him in his arms. He took him in his arms. Mary and Joseph didn't even know he'd been there. If we'd have known you were there, we'd have come earlier. They didn't know. <laughs> See, because, they, because they, didn't, they didn't need to know. You're on a need-to-know basis with God. And Simeon takes him and praises God. 2.29, Luke 2.29. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised... Now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. John Milton once said, they also serve who only stand and wait. So this week when you're in the express lane, you know, the ten items are less lane, and the person in front of you swipes their debit card and it doesn't work. And, and, the, then, and, then, and then the checker knows that there's a way to kind of fix the problem but has forgotten how to fix it and now they've got to call the manager and now five minutes later after you've gotten lapped by the people in the slow lane, your teeth are grinding and your gut is churning and your face is grumpy. Remember that at that moment, at that moment, we have a choice. We do have a choice. I can either be grumpy while I wait, or I can worship while I wait. I can. Oh, come on, you're kidding, Randy. You don't expect me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've just been given the gift of Advent. The gift of Advent. And at that very moment, whether, whether it's a line in the store or a line in traffic, or where you're, you're waiting for that job offer, or you're waiting for your exams, or you're waiting for radiation treatments to end, or waiting for the tests to come back, at that very moment, in whatever grain bin you happen to be, you, you know, you don't want to be in it, but God has allowed you to be in it, 
for the gift of Advent. You're experiencing Advent. You're in the shoes of ancient heroes in the faith like Simeon as you wait for the Messiah. Waiting, waiting can either give you an ulcer or it can give you peace. It really is your choice. So hang on. Hang on because in His time, because of His love, God will bring full redemption to His people so that they can fully praise Him. Don't you see what's going on here? Don't you see? See, the psalmist is telling his faith story. Psalm 130 is what happens in this room every Sunday. It's the picture of a uh, it's the picture where a pastor, a fallen and recovering sinner, gets up and testifies to God's grace in his life, encouraging God's people to hope and to wait on the Lord, trusting him and le- letting him do the leading and we do the trusting. Folks, this is our church service. Every You can't get on stage in this church unless you are a grain engulfment survivor. You can't. Anybody who's up on this stage has survived grain engulfment. And that's why, this is why there's good news. We still say it. God, please. God, please, help. Help. I need rope. You're you're the rope. And, And you see what's going on here? These people in Psalm 130, they have not arrived at the temple yet. Yet they sing as if they have. And so, you know, we want you to worship before you come here in this room for worship. But even when we come here to this room for worship, we realize, wait a minute, we're really on a journey together, aren't we? Getting ready for the worship in the new heavens and the new earth, where with new bodies we will sing together. Oh, God, with you there is forgiveness therefore you are worshiped that's what that word means in verse four you are worshiped we we can worship you because you have forgiven us we cry out to the god our father who keeps no record of wrongs in my account because in fact he did charge my record against his son's account and that's why with god there's forgiveness We worship a God whose ears are attentive to our cries because his ears were deaf to the cries from the cross, which is why with him there's unfailing love. And we worship a God who does not forsake or abandon us because his one and only son was forsaken and abandoned. And that's why with him there is full redemption. There is forgiveness. There is unfailing love. There is full redemption. Our ability, let me put it this way, our ability to worship comes from his ability to wash us from sin. Our ability to praise comes from his ability to pardon. Our ability to celebrate the victory has come from his ability to achieve the victory. For he cannot deny himself. Amen.